0: Welcome to Science Radio, a space where we chat about culture, belief, wellness, and current events, all through the lens of faith.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Science of the Times. My name is Anita. I am stealing the main mic as your host today and switching seats with Jesse, who is going to inform us of an interesting topic, which in his words, we often ignore at our own peril. Hello, Jesse, welcome to the show.
0: Hello, Zanita. Good to good to be interviewed. I, I feel like I'm in good hands right now.
1: Yeah, how does it feel to be switching sides?
0: You know, I'm much more used to being on your end of the microphone, but we'll see how this goes. I'm interested to see what's what's our conversation is going to end up like.
1: Yeah, awesome. Well, in the January-February issue, you wrote a piece titled Gambling Stuck Underbelly. I guess what I first want to know is like why why the title? What do you mean? And what inspired this piece that you wrote about?
0: Yeah. So some of you might know that I lived for the last six years in New Zealand and New Zealand definitely has a gambling scene, but when I moved back to Australia, I was quite shocked at the contrast between the two countries, especially here in New South Wales, which is actually, in case you didn't know, the gambling capital of the world. We have more pokey machines, more casinos, more ways to bet here, specifically in New South Wales, but also just generally in Australia than anywhere else in the world. And yeah. in particular, the thing that shocked me, I think the most was the level of of advertisement that gets thrown in our face here in New South Wales by mm. a number of companies. There are a couple, the, there are a couple of big ones that you know we don't need to really get too specific, but suffice it to say, if you live in New South Wales or just in Australia in general, you will have various companies that will come to mind who seem to relentlessly bombard us with mm. advertisements. And when I first moved back, I live in Sydney. I live in North Sydney here. And so this is a highly populated area. It's a very dense urban population. So billboards, the sides of buses, YouTube ads, TV, it's its all there. And it seemed like when I first arrived back in Australia, these ads just kept on coming at me any way that... Um, gambling companies could advertise to me they were advertising Mm -hmm. and it really it really caught me off guard because i wasn't used to it there is certainly gambling advertisement in new zealand but it's nowhere near as prevalent and it is heavily censored and limited by the new zealand government interesting so, yes, when I got back, I particularly found a sports bet to be a an advertising company that just, yeah, completely was in my face all the time. And it got me wondering about gambling. Now, I grew up a Christian and gambling was one of the things that you just don't do if you're a Christian. There's actually, as we get into, and we will get into this a little later, the biblical side of things. What does the Bible actually have to say about gambling? There's not that much that the Bible has to say specifically around gambling, though the Bible does have a lot to say about our money. Growing up a Christian, gambling was just off the table and I was never quite sure why i just didn't quite understand it. I knew many people who were binge shoppers, many so-called Christians who had big houses and were wealthy. And I thought, well, what's the difference between spending a lot of money on material items versus going down to the club and chucking a few hundreds on a slot machine? I just didn't quite understand it. (laughs) And as I grew older, I saw the dark underside of gambling more and more and more hence the name of the article this is kind of a an article of two halves we can talk a little bit about the effect that it has on people but there's also a far more sinister aspect to gambling that is very specific to australia and very specific to new south wales so that's kind of where the the article came from. There's a lot I know to unpack here, but that's sort of my that was my starting point.
1: Mm. Awesome. I think when when we talk about gambling, my mind at least often goes to like the pokies. And this was like one of the first pieces where someone really addressed the whole sports betting thing because I think in my experience, also being in church and knowing that gambling is bad, but still seeing people kind of partake in in different forms of gambling that don't seem as bad <laughs> and yeah. so i'm guessing i'm wondering like can you define actually what we mean when talking gambling? Like is like shares also included in gambling is like investing also including it like or are we just talking about like casinos like is sports betting every now and then okay like what do you mean when you say gambling i suppose
0: well when i was writing this article i realized that i've actually been a prolific gambler without even realizing it yeah okay So, as as you say, you know, we often associate gambling with the pokies. You go down to a dingy club somewhere and you go into the special cordon-off room that you have to have a, you know, driver's license to prove that you can, you know, get in and that, you know, you're over 18 or whatever. And it smells like booze. It doesn't smell good. It's low-lit. And what you're often greeted with at a place like this are people hunched over a machine in a zombie-like daze, just inserting money into it over and over and over again. The other aspect, of course, is, you know, horse racing. That's a big thing in Australia. We have the Melbourne Cup and that's the, you know, any time the Melbourne Cup rolls around for another year, the advertising for gambling companies just goes through the roof. That's kind of expected. But as you say, gambling has evolved and it's a little bit different now than you know, maybe when we were kids, particularly in terms of the apps, what gambling companies have done now is they've gamified gambling in a way that I have never experienced before. So Mm. let's say you download the sports bet app. You're going to have a whole bunch of different options for what to bet on. So you're going to be betting on sports games, you know, whether it be footy, whether it be the cricket, whether it be the racing, but what has emerged in the last few years is psychology around human behavior and companies like this hiring psychologists to help them gamify their systems to the mm-hmm. nth degree. So what you might have is a low stakes draw to bet on a particular team on a an NRL match. OK, who's going to win? All right, I'm going to put 10 bucks on you know, I, I I don't know, the Bulldogs, right? And the Bulldogs play, they win, you feel great because you've won, maybe you get 20 bucks out of it, you know? Maybe it was a, you know, a double, whatever. But then what the app might do is say, well, actually there's another game coming up in a couple of days. Why don't you bet your winnings on this particular game? And we're gonna increase the multiplier of you winning. And so then you're sucked in. Right. So mm. the, the idea behind these these tactics is to keep you as invested in their ecosystem as possible. Yeah. And I said I said before that I have been a prolific gambler and I didn't even realize it before I started writing this article. And that's because this is not just in the world of straight up betting on games. This is also in video games now. If you've ever played a game and it has a mystery box aspect, a a loot box, as it were, then you've been gambling because the idea behind these is that there is a set number of items in the box. You don't know what it is, but you know how much the box costs. And so you buy the box, hoping that you're gonna get that legendary item or that whatever item, and you open a bunch and maybe you get some, maybe you don't. When I was a teenager, I used to play a lot of trading card games, and it's the same thing. You will buy a booster pack, which you don't know what the contents of the booster pack is. It might have some really rare cards inside. It might have some completely trash cards inside. But the thrill is cracking open that booster pack and finding what's inside. And when it comes to things like trading card games, digital card games, or even games like Counter-Strike, where they have a secondary market this becomes even more sinister because there is now monetary value added to that item that you're opening so mm. let's say i'm playing magic the gathering it's the most popular trading card game out there i go there's a new set that comes out and there's an amazing card that's worth hundred dollars i buy a booster box which contains i think 36 booster packs And I am opening those packs, hoping that I open this particular card. So I could spend maybe $100, $150. The price really fluctuates based on the set. But what I'm hoping to do is not just add cards to my collection so that I can play the game. I'm playing with the stock market because I'm hoping that I'm gonna open a card that's gonna pay for the money that I just spent on on this set but also then exponentially make me more money. I might get a lot of really great cards in the box. I might not. But that whole system is designed so that if I feel like I've made my money back and then some, that incentivizes me to buy again. But in a twisted way, if I don't make my money back, I'm also incentivized to buy again because of the promise of maybe next time I'll get lucky
1: Yeah okay
0: <laughs> so you lose either way yeah so that mm-hmm. that is that is a it's a hundred percent gambling and actually on the topic of video games there are a number of countries all around the world that are starting to crack down on this because they've recognized that the behaviors that this system is is targeting the people, who have addictive personalities Mm. and video game companies are starting to go after what are called whales. Have you ever heard that term before?
1: No, please tell me more. (laughs)
0: Okay. So what a whale is, is somebody who will spend an inordinately large amount of money on your product. So if it's a, if it's a trading card game, they're the ones who are going to go and spend all of their money on buying five booster boxes or you know, when a new expansion set comes out, they're gonna pay to unlock all the content in that expansion versus regular ordinary people who might pay a little bit here, might pay a little bit there, but over the life of your experience in the game, they'll spend, you know, 30, 40, 50, maybe even $100, which to us might seem like a lot, but to a video game company, it's not that much. And so Mm. what a lot of these companies are doing now is they're not targeting people like you and me who might spend 20, 30, 50, a hundred dollars. They're targeting people who will spend a thousand dollars. And there's way more that I could go into with video games, but I haven't really talked about video games that much in the article. Maybe I will in the future. Mm. For now, here in New South Wales, in Australia, betting companies are doing a a pretty good enough job without that Mm. whole other world. But I am definitely not coming at this from a Puritan, holier-than-thou perspective because as I was writing this article, I realised actually I've fallen into the same trap too.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. The statistics show that it actually targets younger males between the ages of 18 to 24, which I want to circle back to that later on. and Because I, I guess I find myself, not that I'm a holy human, I've never really had much to do with gambling just because I've never been interested in gaming or sports or casinos that much. Like It's just not my thing. So thankfully, I haven't really dabbled that much in it. I do have a remember I used to work, I once worked at a farm and with a lot of guys in that age group from like 18 to you know, mid to late 20s. And we would get paid cash in hand at the farm. So at the end of our day, we got paid cash. And most of the people who I worked with would then go straight from work to the pokies and they would just spend all their money. And every now and then, occasionally, someone would win back. Like the next day they'd come to work, I won $3,000 or something like that. But it was very rare. But it would just kind of encourage people to then keep going. And I just found it crazy because in my mind, I was like, Man. they've literally just labored on this farm and then they've gone and just spent all that money. Like, and for me, I couldn't justify it, but I just found it really interesting. And I always used to like ponder how they would just kind of do that. And the and same with like people go to Las Vegas and Atlantic city and mm. kind of just see their money disappearing. Like, mm. but yeah, I was listening to, I think I was listening to a podcast. I think it was the Huberman lab. And oh, yep. He was talking about that intermittent reinforcement is the most powerful form of dopamine reward schedule that keeps you doing something. So in other uh-huh. words, like we get dopamine kicks from gambling like you were talking about. There's a psychological thing going on and the gaming industry is aware of that. And what's embedded in the mind of the gambler is that the next time really could be something that changes everything. Yep. And rarely, rarely is that the case because I think companies – like they're not wanting us to get on the money, right? Like no,
0: no, 100%. That's,
1: that's not their intention, but the slot machine idea is that every once in a while you'll win and it will be worth everything. But it seems illogical, like, and I guess I'm wondering from your perspective is like, we, we all kind of know this, like, mm, we don't mm-hmm. really get that back. But why do you think that we just keep on trying? Like, where, where is our logic failing, I suppose?
0: I I think it comes down to something as simple as we think we're different and Mm. we're special or lucky, perhaps, is the way to to think about it, that, yeah, I could lose everything, but I'm not going to because there is a great chance that I'm actually going to, I'm going to make bank. We somehow, we somehow in our minds think that we're different. And it's only when we realize we've lost so much that we kind of go through that cycle of how stupid am I. But the problem with that cycle is that it's a reinforcing cycle. You you go through that. "I, I could win. I could win. I'm different. I'm not like all those other people. And then you experience the disappointment of losing all of your money and then that creeping suspicion kind of comes back in of, well, maybe the next turn I, w- I would have won the million dollars, or I would have, you know, won the lotto, and maybe it's only because I stopped that I I, I lost out. So mm. what I need to do instead is not to count my losses, get on with it. It's almost like it's almost like a sunk cost fallacy that you've invested so much. I've come this far, I may as well keep going because yeah. I've already invested so much in this thing, I, I may mm-hmm. as well keep going because surely one day it's it's going to pay out. And mm. for the, the vast majority of people, it really does.
1: Yeah. Can you speak a little bit to your experience? You said that you, I guess, have been involved. In it. At um, what point did you see that it was like a problem and... And what did you do about it to get yourself out of that mentality?
0: So a friend of mine and I used to play this video game called Hearthstone. It's a digital card game based on the Warcraft series. Wildly popular, it was one of the first digital card games that really gained popularity. And it was so popular primarily because it was not just available on your computer, but you could also play it on your smartphone. And so it it became wildly popular. It was based on a really popular IP and my friend and I just got right into it. And in that system, it's much like a physical card game where you pay money and you'll get a card pack that contains six random cards. And it goes from common to rare, common, uncommon, rare, and I think legendary, epic, and legendary, something like that. So there's 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 tiers of, of of that, and so because it was so popular, there were new expansions releasing every every year. You know, one or two expansions would come out a year, whatever the schedule was. And every time, that's a whole new set of cards that came into the game that you have to get to be current. And <laughs> so there was an incentive for both of us because we were both playing for, to keep current. Now he was adamantly free to play. And what that means is there are certain cu- there are certain games that cost nothing to play but then you can optionally spend money. And my friend was adamantly I'm never going to spend money on this game. I, on the other hand, had no such <laughs> self-control. <laughs> I would do my daily quests which would give you a little resource which then you can save up to buy cards. And so I would religiously play every single day to save up enough gold. But then what would end up happening is when the expansion came out, you can pay $30, $40, $50 to pre-order a special bonus pack that you can unlock. And so I thought to myself, look how much gold I've saved up. If I buy this pre-order pack, it's much better value Than just buying the packs on their own. So I'll get better value out of it and I'll get more cards. So when the expansion comes out, I'll just be able to play whatever deck I want to play. Mm. And so that's what I did. And that's what I did again and again and again. So over the course of, I think, four or five years, I played this game for four or five years pretty constantly. And that's what I did over and over and over again. And I shudder to think how much I spent on this game in the end. And the, again, the problem with this game is it's not that you are earning money from it. You're just earning in-game stuff, cards, um, maybe minor cosmetic stuff, but you're not actually getting anything in return. You're just making your character better. And there came a certain point for me where I had to sit myself down and think, How much have I played this game? How much am I enjoying this game? How much am I, how much have I spent on this game? And my friend and I, we went through a similar experience at the same time. And I realized that I'd spent hundreds, maybe thousands, probably not, but certainly mid to high hundreds on this game over the five or so years that I played it. Mm. Now to be clear I wasn't a whale because that's still pretty rookie numbers compared to some of the the big boys in the industry but it was still a big number to me and it was a wake up call where I realized that actually I have allowed myself to be sucked into the system because it's like death by a thousand paper cuts you know it's mm-hmm. you know one little transaction here one little transaction there adds up to a a really snowballing sort of effect over time. And so when I kind of, I kind of I kind of confessed this in a way to my friend because he was still free to play. He, I was playing all the latest decks and he was only playing like one or two decks because that's just how it goes. You know, if you don't mm-hmm. spend lots of money, you can only afford to unlock so much when the new expansion comes out. And so I was, I, I, I was, I had to confess to him, you know what, man, I think this is how much I've spent over time. And he was like, okay, we need to stop. And I (laughs) said, yeah, I think you're right. And so we just decided one day that was that. We're done with this game. We're not doing it anymore. And we promised each other that we would tell each other if we ever, this is like, (laughs) <laughs> this is like Alcoholics Anonymous in a way. <laughs> you know, you need to tell me if you ever feel tempted to play this game again.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it did happen once or twice for me, but I told him, and you know, we had a discussion about it, and I decided, okay, that's I'm not. Yep, I'm not going to. I'm not going to do this. Hmm. It's not that the game was bad. It was a great game, but it, what I realized was that the game, in many ways. I was no longer playing it. It was playing me. It was. It had become like a second job because I'd become so obsessed with I need to be able to save as much as possible so that I can get all the new cards when they come out. I'd stopped actually playing the game for fun and I had started thinking like it was some sort of investment that I had to mm. attain to, which is just it's dumb i look back on that and go that was a <laughs> dumb thing to do but that was that was what i did
1: mm. it's so interesting like i suppose for a long time we've looked at gambling as in like the casino and the pokies whereas now it's like literally just in our pockets and it's so accessible like it's just in our games it's in it's in our entertainment which which yeah is insane and it's kind of like you said before australia holds the honor of being gambling capital in the world. Um, And you quoted in your article that the average Australian, if we were to average it out, spends $12,000 on gambling per year, which I was like, I'm an average Australian. (laughs) I don't spend $12,000, but like, imagine like every person I know spending that much, it's insane. And we would never just like, most of us would never think, Oh, I'm going to give, I'm going to put $12,000 into this and risk it. But it's kind of like you said, We just put these little amounts in and we get addicted to that, which oh, just a little more, just a little more. And it's awesome that you had accountability and you had someone who you could like confess to or share that with and hold Mm -hmm. you accountable. But what about people who don't have that?
0: Yeah. And this is this is the really scary part, because I probably would say that most people fit into that category, whether we like it or not. Gambling is a part of our culture in Australia. And it has actually been from the very beginning. Some of the first governors of New South Wales got a lot of their support from pubs and from clubs who made their money from gambling. It's part of our culture and it's kind of part of our DNA. If you're from New South Wales, then this is a part of who you are and a part of the history of your state. You live in Queensland now. but. Did you did you were you born in New South Wales?
1: I was born in New South Wales. I live across the road from New South Wales still, so ah, let's there just you go. Say okay. New South Wales. I I, <laughs> I was wondering if you're exempt, <laughs> you, know, you know. No. I still count myself at New South Wales.
0: Okay. I'm All on right. New
1: South Wales time, for example. So
0: Ah, okay. All right. So there we go. It's part of a, it's part of our culture Anita. <laughs> um and so look there's a lot of there's a lot in that I'm not a historian but if you want mm. to you can just google history of new south wales and gambling and and you'll see for the vast majority of people this is just part of our culture this is what you do and I don't think there's a big push of people going into clubs necessarily and getting on the pokies but I do think that there is a huge uptake on the app forms of of gambling and that's i think just just part of part of our culture alcohol's also a part of it and unfortunately we also have a culture that supports organized crime and i i'm very careful about what i say here but there is documented evidence that organized crime has played a large part in the history of our nation, especially New South Wales. There's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of money changing hands between clubs, gangs, and politicians. And I'm, I'm not going to get too specific on this, but all you need to do is do a quick Google search to see some of the journalism that has been done on this, on this topic. I touch on it very briefly in the article when it comes to a former employee of, of Clubs New South Wales. His name is Troy Stolls and he used to work for Clubs New South Wales. He was essentially a compliance officer when it came to their anti-money laundering department. And to cut a very long story short, he no longer works for them and he's just gone through a lengthy and very painful court case with Clubs New South Wales because essentially their anti-money laundering practices were not good. And as an employee who was trying to ensure that everything was on the books and everything was ship shape and all that sort of thing, he was constantly frustrated. And so he became a whistleblower and was subsequently sued, counter sued. Then he got cancer. He's still with us as of the recording of this podcast, but who knows what might happen in the future. He was in a lengthy lawsuit with Clubs New South Wales over this whole kerfuffle. And as of February 7th, 2023, he has ended this lawsuit less than a week after the former Clubs New South Wales boss was sacked over some comments he made about our New South Wales Premier and his Catholic faith amid a push for gambling reform in the state you can find this all online this is from <laughs> the guardian so troy stoles has settled out of court because it was settled out of court's we don't know what the arrangement was but what we do know is that he is planning on continuing to be an advocate for gambling reform And he's actually going to be running against the Labor opposition leader, Chris Minns. And we'll see what happens out of that. So, Mm. look, I know there's a lot there. But as I said before, it's more than just gambling is bad for people because of what it does to people. The fact of the matter is there's a lot of money in it. And the way that money is earned and where that money goes in Australia is a controversial subject for many people, especially those Mm -hmm. in positions of power. So, yes.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good thing to to take into consideration because I think some people argue that there's nothing wrong with it if you do it responsibly. Just like drinking. A lot of people say you know, have a drink once every now and then special occasion at a party. What's the problem? We're not getting addicted. There's no harm. There's no harm. Just a little bit of fun. But I guess what you're saying is like, well, where that money is actually going is a problem in and of itself. And all that money adds up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent.
1: And so would you, because I know I've even seen on the bottom of poking machines, Please gamble responsibly.
0: <laughs> well, that's a le- that's a legal requirement, but it's also a little bit insincere, in my opinion.
1: What do you mean by insincere?
0: Alcohol companies also will say, "Please drink responsibly."
1: Yeah.
0: But if you buy more of their booze, I mean that they're not going to be mad about that. Mm. So, so it, it, it's a bit of a cynical take, I know, but the reality is there are regulations put in place and. This is a constant conversation that is far above my pay grade as far as what gambling reform should look like in our country. But I am very much aware of the fact that it's more complicated than just, oh, we need to do things that are better for people because, Mm. you know, as we've already discussed, there are a lot of fingers in this pie and Mm. it's sometimes a little bit difficult to really pinpoint who those fingers are exactly when a lot of this is done under the table
1: yeah yeah it's good to clear up. i guess in terms of like when we look at the the age record of those people who are most vulnerable to it or susceptible to being sucked in we mentioned before it's mostly young males between the ages of 18 to 24 why do you think that they are so susceptible to that uh, <laughs> it kind of seems to be like that's the age where we finish school and want to start like a lot yeah. of people start getting serious about money. Do you think it's because they're the people that are just on their phones the most or like?
0: That's definitely part of it. I think there's a correlation between the legal drinking age as well. A lot of bad legal, bad financial decisions. Well, just a lot of bad decisions in general tend to happen when you've had a few too many. I also think there's a legal side of things. Gambling companies are not allowed to market to children and i think as soon as you can get somebody into your system while they're young and their brain is impressionable what better (laughs) what better way to get somebody to become a lifelong gambler than to get them just as they're allowed to legally gamble Mm. that's a i think there's also a part of it that look I don't know if this is scientifically accurate, but they say that men's brains develop a lot later in life than females' brains do. So maybe maybe ladies are just more advanced at that age. So they're not as they're not as marketable potentially. I, I also think that there's a there's a whole world that gambling is a part of. Number one, the world of drinking the world of sport this is the world where a lot of young men find their 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 camaraderie their companionship their mateship you know or what better way to get to know somebody to become mates with them than to go to a, a footy game or to go to a cricket game what what better way to connect with somebody than with a shared interest of something as common as as sport it's this is mm-hmm. australian culture it's yeah. very stereotypical i know but it's stereotypical for a reason. And the fact that gambling has been able to slot itself so neatly yeah. into that culture means that somebody will think of sport and they'll automatically associate gambling with that sport, with the good times that they've had with those people, the friendships that they've made, those those great experiences and all that sort of thing.
1: Mm. Yeah, and I guess a question like... I have for you uh, amongst all the other questions felt like, <laughs> like you mentioned that you stopped playing that game. but I do know that you are interested in games. Uh, yeah. I assume you're interested in sports, maybe not, but I assume oh, not um, as not as
0: much, but yeah, yeah probably probably not as much as the typical Aussie male, but sure
1: yeah and and i am aware you also have a smartphone how have you actually have you found that you've still been able to enjoy those things without that constant i don't want to say attack but that constant kind of feed of like gambling coming into your your phone and in your friendship circles and things Mm. they talk about like is Mm. that still something that is like a difficult thing for you to resist or have you Mm. found ways to deal with that that have been helpful
0: Well, I think one of the things that helps me is the fact that I don't drink. And so I'm not part of Mm -hmm. that culture. I am able to keep that a little bit more at arm's length, which is good because I do have an addictive personality. I've, you know, you've heard Mm -hmm. my story about the five-year-long game. (laughs) So there's that. And one of the other choices I've had to make is in my gaming life, you know, just recreationally, I have had to make choices about which games I'm willing to play and which games I'm just not willing to play. So what that's meant is that I have mm, I have increasingly prioritized gaming experiences that have a definitive beginning and a definitive end. So a single player game, a game that doesn't have loot boxes, a game that doesn't have a battle pass unfortunately a lot of the most popular games today have some of those tactics you know apex legends or Fortnite or whatever i don't really like Fortnite, so that's not a problem for me but there are certainly enough temptations out there for me to fall into that trap and look i want to be very clear that if i am playing a game that i feel is good and i like what the developers are doing with the game I'll I'll throw a few bucks their way for a cosmetic or a special item that you can't get any other way. So I'm not against that per se. I'm not against spending in-game currency or in-app purchases. What I am against is when developers do it in a way that is predatory. And there are certain Mm -hmm. games that I have just stopped playing because I've recognized that actually their business model is, is incredibly predatory. Mm. These are the sorts of decisions you just have to make. And there are certain games that I've really enjoyed and I've just been like, I actually can't support the developer because I just don't like what they're doing. I like mm. the game they've made. I just don't like their business practices. So yeah. That mm. I, I've been that that's just what I have to do to keep my conscience clear.
1: Yeah, sure. I suppose for people who are in the gaming world it's about like being a bit more conscious of where their money is going and what the, I guess, what the point of it is. But I suppose for people who are into sports and are still in that environment, they'll have to, I don't know, set their own boundaries around, I don't know. I just imagine if, if I I was into sport and I had a lot of friends, it would be hard to resist if it's like the thing. And it's, it's easy to say, oh, well just don't gamble. But I think when you're in that environment and everyone's doing it, I can see how it would be difficult.
0: But. Oh, and gambling companies leverage peer pressure as a tool. Mm. You know, there are ways that they can involve other people, like do a do a group bet or something like that, so that if you win, you all win something big, and that's that's very exciting. Mm. So yes, it, it is it is difficult, and I I would say that if you're in that situation and you feel pressured to 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 bet. I, I would recommend that you do a little bit of digging into some of the companies that you're supporting. What are their business practices? What do they do with their earnings? What, what are their, What's their morality like? Just as mm-hmm. far as like their transparency about anti-money laundering and corruption. Uh, do mm-hmm. they have a good track record? Do they have a bad track record? But also I would say you need to search yourself which is, I know, a very Christianese kind of thing to say, but like do some self-reflection, you know, think about the last six months or the last 12 months and think back to all the times that you've gambled, whether it be on an app or at a pokey machine or whatever the case may be. On the whole, has the experience made you feel better? Because one of the things that I've recognized is that if I spend some money... On an in game purchase, whether it be to unlock a new cosmetic or to open a couple of mystery boxes, I've had a you have that instant rush of endorphins, that little dopamine in your brain, but then you log off the game or you put down the app and you just kind of feel like the same as before and mm. a little bit poorer. And maybe you feel, I feel a little bit dirty because. Oh, I didn't really need to do that. I didn't really need to spend that money.
1: Yeah.
0: What has that done to you? has that has that improved your life, or has it actually made it a little bit worse? Do you feel like do you feel good about yourself or does it kind of make you feel a little bit lesser?
1: Yeah, that's good. I know we had a recent conversation on this podcast with the CEO from Christian Sands Poverty. She was talking about we can see our values by how we spend our money. And so I think often when we feel ashamed about something or feel discontent just in life in general, we can turn back to like, Am I living in alignment with my values? And I think for things like gambling, often, you know, we put all this money in and we lose a lot of money and a lot of people feel this sense of like shame because it's like of course (laughs) that was so (laughs) foolish and so yeah it's a really interesting it's kind of a bit of a tangent but it's an interesting podcast to listen to i think if you are wanting to be a bit more financially wise about your decisions i suppose for anyone who is currently struggling with this is there anywhere specifically that they can go for help or if they don't have that person that they can keep them accountable where can they go like what, what can be their kind of first step of action
0: Yeah. Well, look, I'd say the very first thing is if you've got somebody in your life that you trust who you think might be a compassionate ear and somebody who you'd be happy to be accountable to, I'd say do that first because it's much more powerful when it's in the context of of a relationship, a friendship with somebody. If you don't have any of those people in your life, there is help out there. If you read the article, then there's a couple of things that we link. So, there's Gambling Help Online. So, if you're in Australia, that's gamblinghelponline.org.au. If you're in New Zealand, that's gamblinghelpline.co.nz. I would say again, though. If there's somebody in your life who you can connect with, or if there's a group in your local community, there's gambling anonymous groups out there. They can be online, anonymous, as in like you don't have to show your face or you can turn up to a meeting. It's still anonymous in the sense that nobody's going to broadcast your problems to the world. And there are going to be like-minded people there who have gone through the same sort of things as you. I think it's really powerful to hear other people's stories Mm. because... It's so easy when you're caught up in a culture like gambling to think that, oh, this is just normal, this is what we do, when in actual fact, it's not normal and it's actually really destructive. So whether you're like a mum who's addicted to the pokies or you're a young guy who's just absolutely wasting away all of his money from his paycheck on, you know, a sports betting app or, you know, if you're just going out to a game with your mates and you're just putting some money on the horses and it's just spiraling out of control. There are people out there who have been through what you've been through and have actually said, you know, what? this is not normal. I need to get help. It's not a weakness to ask for help if you're addicted to gambling. It's, it's actually a strength to recognize that there's something in your life that's not quite right. And it takes a lot of courage to step out and, and say, you know what, I'm going to do the work needed to get some help to become a better me.
1: Absolutely. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Jesse, so much for speaking to us on the issue. And if anyone re- wants to read the article, it's super informative. I really enjoyed it. It is also on our website and in the magazine. So that is all for today. Thank you again, Jesse, for joining us. And we will see you all for another episode of Signs of the Time Radio soon.
0: This episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Signs of the Times magazine. A print subscription is $28 a year, or just $14 for a digital subscription. To find out more, visit scienceofthetimes.org.au.